Hi there, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This sermon by Pastor Eric Ludi is entitled, The Mystery of the Body. First, I highly suggest listening to this message with the free downloadable notes. Second, this may seem patently obvious, but you have a body. The question is, what is it for, and who is it going to serve? Sin unto death, or Christ unto righteousness? Please, we'd love for you to contact us at www.ellerslie.com. Enjoy the message. This is a very unique message. In fact, it's a message that probably better fits in our Ellerslie training than in a Sunday morning. However, I felt the necessity to unpack it uh, this morning, uh, even at risk of being a little deeper than uh, is usually expected in a Sunday morning service. We all have our expectations of what happens on a Sunday morning. And Ellerslie, we sort of now have our expectations of what happens on a Sunday morning. We probably go a little deeper than most uh, here, and we speak with a little more heat uh, than most. Well, this is a combination of heat and depth, and so uh, hopefully I don't overwhelm anyone. Uh, But this is possibly one of the most important messages you may ever hear. It is... One of the great mysteries that we face as Christians is this idea of what is actually taking place inside of us when we come to Jesus. What alters? Is it just like God's lens towards us changes, but we remain the same? Or does something actually alter within us? When Paul refers to the human body as the temple of God, And he says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? Does that mean that God is actually inside of us? Or does that mean theoretically God just likes to call us the temple because it sounds good? What is actually happening inside of a Christian? And for most of us as Christians, even though we may have been Christians our entire life, we don't actually know how to answer that question. Thus, we have this message. So this is a message that is critical for every believer But it's very difficult to know where to put this in the training of a Christian because it's a little hefty. Uh, You know, do you just whip it out one day in a Sunday morning? I guess we do. Uh, So this is called the mystery of the body. Okay, now I gave a, a, a version of this message to the Ellerslie students this past semester and it was a very significant time. I called it the body, by the way, for those of you that are students in here going, what was this? I don't remember this one. It was called the body. So I needed to give a new title to it, uh, you know, for our Sunday morning so I could know the difference between the two. So we called this the mystery of the body. Uh, okay, I, I love this message. Okay, so you guys ready? <clears throat> We're going to go through a glossary. And uh, because we have a whole bunch of words. Now, these are all words that Paul utilizes throughout the New Testament. When Paul writes, one of the ways you can determine that it's even Paul writing is his language. He uses certain terminology over and over and over again. Now, we need to realize the gospel doesn't alter from Galatians to Romans through Corinthians. It's not like Paul decides, you know what, I've changed my mind on this one. I'm going to describe it differently here. You know, now that I've sort of grown up in my Christian faith... Could you scrap what I said here? I'm going to say it uh, afresh here. This is, this is my new idea about the gospel. No, that's the emergent church that does that. Paul doesn't change his mind. Paul says the same thing throughout the entire Bible. 
And so what we have is a language, and it's a language that is consistent with the rest of the Bible. So I'm just talking about Paul here, because Paul is the, you know, the greatest voice within the New Testament. Uh, so old is a word we see a lot. Now, you've heard of Old Testament, Old Covenant, Old Man. Well, that's old, which means that which was. Uh, these aren't going to be revolutionary definitions, by the way. If you're expecting me to transform your thinking by the definition of old, I'm not going to try and do that, okay? I'm just getting raw materials out on the table here because we all need to be on the same page because some of you may not know what old is. That which was, that which was first, that which can't please God. Now, that's an interesting statement. That which was first, that might not have been in your head. But in the Bible, the old is that which was first. And so what you see, is, and this is a critical concept, because there is always something that is first, and then there is something that is second. And another way of saying this in the New Testament is flesh and spirit. The flesh is born first. Esau and Jacob were twins in the womb. Who was born first? Esau, the one that was hairy all over. He is symbolic of the flesh. The flesh is first. The second born, Isaac, the one who esteems the promise, the one who wrestles with God, the one that gains the name Israel, the one born of God, the spirit. The first or the old, and then you see the new. Now, the first, the old, can't please God. Very critical thing. You cannot please God by just obeying all the commandments because you will fail. And so we are missing the key element in our ability as Christians to please our God. What's wrong? So we have to offer sacrifices. It's the blood that would please God, not our behavior. We couldn't do it. We couldn't muster up the way we ought to be. The old is insufficient. The new, that which can be, that which is second, that which pleases God. Okay, now these are just terms. Get them out on the, the counter for us. Body. Now, you have a body, and you know what I mean by body, but I'm going to give a metaphor here because the body is a complex thing. When I just say that we all have a body, we all nod along. But when body is talked about in Scripture, it's talked about in multiple different ways, and so therefore we have to understand what it's talking about. You have a body, but you also have other dimensions to yourself. For instance, your soul or your mind. Is your mind your body? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm going to describe the body this way. If we were building a business and say we made widgets, that's what in every business book they're always making widgets. We could make gizmos. Do you want to make gizmos? We could do that. Okay, we're, we're making something, we're building something. So we have this factory that we've created. And we have all these uh, machines that, you know, out, you know, stick in stuff in one end and out the other, and bloop, you know, comes your little widget, and it's like, goes, and it zooms around. It's like useful for something, okay? And so we have this factory. It's an operation which is intended to make a product. Your body is an operation. It's a factory. And so whereas there are individual machines inside of your factory, the body is like the warehouse building. It's what encases the entirety of the factory. But your body isn't actually the factory, even though it is. The factory is included in it. But the body is merely the shell. It's the covering for something. Now, here's the amazing thing about God. God has chosen to do his business on earth in a factory, in a warehouse. He chose, when Jesus came to this earth, he took on a body. 
He could have just come in spirit form and moved all over the place. Instead, he limited himself to this little structure known as a body. Why would he do that? And why would he use us? And we are stuck in this thing. Have you ever realized that? You, where are you? You're stuck inside a body. You can't just get out. It's like, I'm tired of this body. And then you move out and stick in, you get in someone else. You know, you're in a body. You don't just float around out there. Some people say they do. Uh, we have a body, okay? And we're going to call that the factory for the operation of humanity, okay? And we'll build on this. This is the entire metaphor we're going to use. Members. There's another term that Paul uses, members. And that's not a typical term we use. Like in church, we have members, uh, you know, so we understand that. You know, are you a member to a church? Uh, that's not, even though that, that fits, but it's not necessarily exactly what Paul's talking about. Individual parts that make up the factory. The specific machines that make humanity operational. Okay, so in your own body, your physical body, you have members. This hand, it's a member. My left foot, a member. My left knee is a member. You know that if you, say, say I say, you know what, I think I could live life without my knee. Suddenly, my left foot doesn't work. In other words, these members all play a part in making this overall operation functional. But you don't call Eric a knee. You know, it's, hi, you're a nice knee. That would be weird. Why? Because I'm not a knee. I'm a body. Have you ever thought about that? I'm a somebody. And, you know, I'm an anybody. Uh, we are bodies. We're not a knee. But a knee is a part of a body. Okay? So that's what Paul is meaning by members. Self. <clears throat> you. Do I need to introduce this one at a deeper level? Uh, you were wondering when you'd come into the whole picture. You, the eternally responsible party for all that takes place within the factory. You know, your factory is producing some terrible widgets. You ever thought about this? You are responsible for producing something that would be pleasing to God with your operation, with your factory. And what's coming out stinks. You keep looking at your products, you're like, oh, this is terrible. And you take it before God, and he's like, uh-uh. He can't even look at it. It smells in heaven. We, old stinky pants, to use the illustration from the kiddo time. That's what we are. We're old stinky pants to God. And we have no business entering into his presence with what we're producing. We have to produce perfect righteousness. And for whatever reason, these crazy machines aren't working correctly. Self is the one responsible for the operation. Who's in charge here, God says. I need to hold someone responsible. And it's you. Now, we want to hide behind a machine and go, it's the machine. It's the machine. And God says, move that machine out of the way. I think the culprit is behind the machine. But uh-huh, there he is. It's you. You are responsible, eternally responsible, for what happens inside this body. You can't just hide behind the culture. You know, the culture's bad, and I grew up in it, and I was, you know, warped. I was abused when I was little. I had all these terrible things happen to me, and you are still responsible. Isn't that an amazing thought? You are eternally responsible. Flesh, the old man, and self-centricity. The factory operator. Now, this is one of my favorite ones to introduce. Okay, now let's get the picture of what's happening here. This is an operation. This is a business. And so it has like hours, 
you know, you come to the door, kink, kink, you knock, and come on in. And when you come in, uh, there's a picture hanging on the wall, and it's like, director. And there's a picture of you. And you're like smiling. You have this gold tooth right there. Uh, and, you know, it has your name underneath it, and everyone's like, oh, impressive character. However, you are not actually the one in control. You're the one responsible, but guess what? There's a burly character inside who's very gruff, and he has this big belly, you know, that sort of jiggles around when he moves. He has this unshaven beard. He never shaves properly. It's just sort of this grizzled look. He's always eaten those hostess uh, donuts with the white powder all over it. It's all over his face. And this is the way he talks. Hey, get to work over there. And he's just a smelly, yucky character. That's the flesh. That's the old man. And even in all of you girls, that's what he sounds like. Hey, get to work over there. Some of you girls are in there going, that doesn't sound very feminine. <laughs> That's why we need to deal with him. He's messing up femininity and masculinity. Everything that is going wrong with the church is right there. We have the wrong thing operating. Now, where are you? Why are you letting this guy control the operation? Because you know what? He's the one telling everyone what to do. You have these great machines that God built to produce the fruit of righteousness. And all that's coming out is junky widgets. Why, what are you doing about it? Where are you at? Well, there's this glassed-in enclosure. You know, like for the editor of a newspaper and things like that, there's that glassed-in office in the corner? It's yours. Because you're the boss around here, supposedly. But you're in there in your director's chair, and guess what? There's a gag on you, and you're tied to your chair. You're in charge, but you're not running the operation. There's a desire that you have to see this operation change and to do something different, but you can't change it. Why? Because there's a big, burly guy with an unshaven face with donut powder all over his face who's grovelly and kicking the machines and forcing the labor to produce everything that is opposite of the kingdom of heaven. This is what's known as sin. Sin is you sitting in the director's chair that is not lawfully yours and as a result giving power to the big burly foreman who is actually controlling the operation and producing sins. See, I added an end to that. See, sin is the disposition of control. It is operationally wrong. The wrong guy is on the throne, if you will. And it's you. You on that, in that director's chair, you with the picture in the front office is the problem because it's not supposed to be about you. And what's funny is you're like, I'm innocent, I can't do anything to get out of this. Yeah, but you took the chair. You took the seat and you've been unwilling to do what it takes to get out. And you're like, I'm trying with all my might to get out of this chair. And you can't do it, can you? You need help. You need the gospel. So self, the old man flesh, self-centricity, the factory operator, the overarching system of control, the operation of deceit, the management of sin, the deeds now, Paul uses this term, the deeds, a lot. Basically, it's the widgets that are coming out. What's popping out of the machinery? What are you producing with your life? It's deeds, sins, the fleshly product of the wicked operation. Crucifixion. 
means death to the operator. The legal annulment of the operator's life, authority, and position as the head of the factory. We have a problem here. And that is that we can't deal with this old man or this burly, fleshy character. But there is something that God has made as an avenue by which he can be officially annulled. He can be removed from his position. And the term is crucifixion. You see, we have Christ who was crucified, and then the flesh is supposed to be crucified as well. How does that happen? That happens by us reckoning the death of Jesus Christ as our death. We must enter into the death of Jesus Christ. It actually says in Romans 6 that when Christ died, our old man died. That's what it says. That we died 2,000 years ago. And you're saying, well, it wasn't there 2,000 years ago. That's the incredible mystery of the cross, that when Christ died, it was inclusive. His death was the death that we couldn't somehow pull off. We must die to get out of this arrangement that we're in. Baptism. The reckoning of the operator's death and the reckoning of the birth of a new operation. When you were baptized, it's a statement. It's literally taking the realities of heaven, taking the realities of what happened 2,000 years ago on that cross and declaring it, declaring it to all the heavenlies. That burly, old, grizzled operator is no longer in control of my life. There is a new operation at work within this body and it's the operation of Jesus Christ. Circumcision. This is a huge glossary, isn't it? That, the reason I have to give you all these words is because Paul blends them all together. And if you don't understand how they fit into the overall picture, it can be confusing. Circumcision. Now, this is one of the ones that the guys in here are like, oh, do we need to talk about that? The cutting off of the factory operator and thus his fleshly product. Circumcision is a removal of flesh. I will not go any deeper than that. In the Old Testament, it was removal of physical flesh but it was symbolic of the true circumcision that Christ was going to bring. It was the cutting off of the flesh. The flesh is the burly man. He's the burper scratching guy with donut powder all over his face. It's commanding everything around in your life. You want to do the right thing, but there's a problem at work within you. Remember Paul in Romans 7? I stain the law, but there is nothing within me that's able to perform it. You know the term in most new translations, it's sinful nature. The term is sarks. That is flesh. In Romans 7 when he's saying the flesh is controlling me and there's nothing I have. He's talking about sitting in the director's chair and he's talking to the Jews. He's saying you understand this, don't you Jews? We're stuck here and we can't get out. Cutting off the factory operator and thus especially product Mortify, to kill, to give no life, no privilege, no voice, no place to the previous operator and his pattern of operation. You reckon it dead through baptism. The old operator is out. He's outside the windows. Now he's going to come knocking on those windows. King, king, hey, you dead. I want in. I want my own place back. He will. He'll come knocking around, but guess what? If you get the right new director in the chair... If you get off that chair, which Jesus will help you do, and you allow Jesus to take that director's chair, do you know that that flesh 
That burly character with donut powder, he still has it. Donut powder still all over his face when he's outside that window. He cannot come back in. But you must remain in Jesus Christ. You must remain allowing Jesus Christ to have his position of control in the body. Put off. To remove all allegiance and cut all ties with the old operator and his operation. You know what? I'm just, I just walked through the gospel without giving you any dimension and any you know, ligament to hold it together. These words that we just defined are the terminology, is the jargon for literally the most heroic, most majestic message that has ever reached the human race. And it's enunciated through these words that we just defined. So let's start weaving them together. This is an interesting combination. I don't think I've ever done this before, but I actually combined two scriptures from two different books of the Bible, okay? So you'll see a dot, dot, dot. Now listen to this. This is Jesus talking in the beginning. And then we have a, a, a statement from Acts 2, which is during Pentecost. And no man, says Jesus, putteth new wine in old bottles. Okay, wine in the Hebrew culture would be symbolic of blood or life. Okay, so Jesus is talking about life here, new wine. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish but new wine must be put into new bottles. So you see old and new. And both are preserved. Okay, now let's go fast forward into the future. Jesus Christ is now dying. He's resurrected, and now he's poured out his life. He poured out the new wine. He gave them the life. That's what he purchased on the cross, was a new life to come into this body and make this operation work. Well, that's what Pentecost was. We get Pente Pentecost gets all weird to everyone today. It's like been hijacked or something, where we all, half the church is like, oh, I don't want to talk about Pentecost. Pentecost is the purchase of the cross. Jesus Christ died not to just forgive us, not to just take this miserable operation and slap a, a sticker on the outside that says, I know it looks bad, but it's forgiven. That isn't God's agenda. He isn't just trying to cover over the mess. Oh, yeah, we're still producing junky widgets that smell to high heaven. But, oh, it's all forgiven because of Jesus' blood. Jesus' blood has purchased the way to alter and reform and regenerate the operation. Hey, let's give God some credit for what his blood can accomplish here. So, at the end, it says, Others mocking said, These men, speaking of the apostles, are full of new wine. They couldn't be more correct. A new life had entered in. And a new bottle was created. We could have called this message new bottles. Because that's what we become. We become carriers. Our warehouse looks the same. It's the same warehouse. Eric Ludy didn't really alter. He didn't like change the pigment of his skin suddenly when he came to Jesus Christ. My right arm didn't like grow 10 feet longer and it's all gangly out there. I didn't alter. This altered. What was inside changed. And I have a new operation to house a new life. Legally, for life there is need for death. We're stuck in a director's chair. We have covenanted with death. It's the principle of sin. We have agreed with darkness. 
And as a result, the flesh has legal right to control our operation. Sin has legal right over us according to the law. You can't get out, even legally speaking. And God even knows that. There is death that is needed to annul your covenant agreement with death. So, let's read about this in Romans 7. Know ye not, brethren, this is Paul, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth widgets unto God, that we should bring forth the right fruit. For when we were in the flesh, you, the burly guy, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our factory to bring forth widgets that stunk. Okay, you following me here? Now, I am adding a little paraphrase here for all of you that are wanting to go after scriptural integrity. That's why you have it in front of you to read it in actuality. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit. Remember, spirit is the second born. It's the new. Newness of spirit, newness of life, and not in the oldness of letter. I don't know if that makes a whole bunch of more sense to you than it ever has, but there has to be a death. And it was Christ's body that died. And when we enter into that death, our old man or this old operator dies. The flesh is crucified. And we are set free from this dominion of sin. And we also die in the process because we die to our position, our control. We give up our life. We have always been the one that it was about. You walk in and there's the picture of you with your gold tooth. You know, that little slimy grin on your face. This is about me. And guess what? One of the first things that happens is that picture gets taken down. Smashed on the ground. Thrown away. That director's chair gets polished off, cleansed. And in strolls Jesus Christ. A new picture in the hallway. Your new director, Jesus Christ. When anyone comes in, what do they see? You? They see Jesus. Who's in control now? There's a new covenant at work. Jesus Christ, because of his death, has dealt with the old operator. So now there is newness of life. Jesus takes the director's chair. Now all the factory can start to work. Where are you at in this? Are you just dead? Isn't that an interesting question? Where are you? This is the mystery of the body. Who are you, and do you remain there? Are you just floating around now, watching your life, going, oh, what an interesting life. Wouldn't that be fun to be in that life again? You are actually still in this body. Isn't that a strange statement? But you are not the director of the body anymore. You are the bondservant within the body. The position the flesh used to have is now similar to the position you have. 
The director, which is now the spirit of God within you, tells you what to do with the factory machines. It says, use that right hand for my glory. I'll show you how. You've always used it for sin. Use it for my glory now. And I will equip you, I will train you, and I will empower you to do it. Eh, left foot. Mm -mm, it's not doing that anymore. We are going to use this member to produce a widget that smells good. And so God is taking the machinery and the members of our being, and he is going to transform them to be used for righteousness instead of unrighteousness. Oldness of life unto newness of life. Knowing this, that our old man, that's the grizzled guy, you know, that burps and scratches and has uh, donut uh, powder all over his face, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Doesn't Paul say it a little too cavalierly? I mean, he's acting like that's totally normal, that we should not serve sin. Well, how many of you have experienced a life in which you did not serve sin? Uh-huh, that's the problem. We do not understand the workings of the gospel. We have not taken it. And the flesh talks to us and says, you can't kick me out of here. We're like, I can't? It's like, no, I, I can stay here as long as I want. I'm the one that runs these. You're used to me being here. You wouldn't even know how to use these machines. We're like, oh, okay. So we allow the burly guy to remain, even though, guess what? He now has no legal right to. You actually are in the position in your body to tell him to go. Get out of here! By what authority? Oh, you know what authority. The authority of the name of Jesus Christ. You know you are no longer in control. Jesus is. The principle of sin doesn't rule in my body anymore. God does. So get out of here. Uh-huh. That ye put off concerning the former conversation... The old man. Now, old man should be big letters there so you can see it, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. There's the word put off. If you look at your glossary, you're removing it. You're shedding this thing. Put it off, Paul says. And that's in Ephesians. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, his fleshy product, his widgets. No more are you producing that. You've put it off. That's in Colossians. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now we have a new term that's being introduced there, the body of sin. So we have the word body there. Okay, remember how I said body is used in various places in various ways? We're going to get to this. This is very important to understand that the old man is crucified. Why? That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That is normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is not under the thumb of the flesh. Normal Christianity tells the flesh exactly where to go. Oh. So this is what you guys have in your little handout. You have a little illustration. And it's of the body of sin. Because the body of sin can be a little confusing. It's like the body of sin. The body of sin is the body as utilized by the principle of sin with the flesh in control. The grizzled guy with, you know, donut powder. Uh, when, the, when the flesh is controlling, it is known in Scripture as the body of sin because all that it produces is sins. It's, that's what it is. It's a warehouse. It's an operation 
You are in charge. You're in the wrong position. You're on the throne, if you will. And all the members are being used for unrighteousness. So here's my definition. The factory of failure where self-centricity rules, the old man operates, sin controls, the body is alive to the flesh and dead to the spirit. So let's look a little closer. Now we're going to zoom in inside the body because this is a hard thing for us to just understand when we pop out of the spiritual womb and we're Christians in our modern day. We have no idea how this works inside of a body. Well, here it is. The model for this is the temple in the Old Testament, okay? The temple in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament calls his body the temple. The temple in the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus Christ, of his body. And it is divided into three segments. The outer court, the inner court, or the holy place, where the priests were able to work, but only the consecrated ones. And then we have the holy of holies. So you'll see three parts, those three blocks in the middle. There's a head to this body, and who's there? Who's sitting in the director's chair? Self. Whose picture is on the wall when you come into this operation? Self. You. Nice picture, by the way. Nice gold tooth. And then, who's at the helm at the very top level? The flesh. He's alive. The flesh is alive within you. You know, the flesh can be defined in all sorts of different ways, but your sensual desires, your appetite, your craving for sleep, all those things that hinder your spiritual life, well, flesh. It's part of your body. It's not the entirety of your body. It's a part of your body. You were given an appetite by God. You know that that appetite isn't bad? You know that you were given a sexuality, and that sexuality isn't bad, but when it controls you, it destroys you. And right now, the way we pop out of the womb when we're, when we're first born in this world, we have a problem, and this is it. We are born in the body of sin. And the flesh is alive. And the soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, it's you, is enslaved you're sitting in the captain's chair. Now, you're responsible for this operation. You're supposedly in control, but you're enslaved. What a funny thing. That's sin. See, when Satan baited Adam and Eve in the very beginning, remember what he said to Eve? Oh, you won't die. You won't die. God doesn't want you to realize this. You could be like him. It's an appeal to the director's chair. You see that director's chair? You could take it. And you'd be in control of this operation. Was he telling the truth? No. Because when we took the chair, who was in charge? Sin. The flesh. He had it all figured out. He knew that when we disobeyed, it would create a breach of access. And so suddenly we are enslaved. The soul is enslaved. The spirit. There's your rescuer right there. The one that's supposed to be helping you. What's the problem? It's dead. God has moved out. Sin, he cannot participate with it. He's out. So everything that would help you run this operation correctly is gone. You have a problem, and it's known as sin, and it produces sins, and you can, no matter how hard you try, change this operation. You can try and make your spirit come to life. It won't. It's like an organ. Okay, now, we have different organs in our body. For instance, you can hear things, you can smell things, you can see things, you can taste things. You have an ability to interact with this world around you. Say I have a counter right here and I stick 25 cents on the counter. You have the ability to perceive that 25 cents and to tell your body what to do. And you can tell your left hand to reach out and to clutch that 25 cents and to take it and to stick it in your pocket. You can coordinate with this natural world to obtain the things, of, uh, the things that are in this natural world. Now here's the problem. 
You need things from another world, things from a heavenly realm, yet your organ that sees those things, hears those things, tastes those things, perceives those things is dead. So therefore, as you begin to awaken, you could say, I need what God has. But guess what? You don't have that ability to reach out and grab it. You are dead. And so therefore, you're dead in sin. So you can't access the things of heaven. You need life within you, which then allows you to reach out in a spiritual way and take that money and stick it in your spiritual pocket. That's what's missing. Paul, in Romans 7, is looking out from as that soul position saying, I esteem what I'm supposed to be, but I can't get it. I can't seem to get it. There's nothing inside me. He's digging down into the spirit with his shovel. He's like, nothing here. There's no fuel here. I need something and I don't have it. What is his conclusion? Who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the solution. That has always been the solution. Okay, now let's get some good news thrown in there. The body of Christ. This is the way you ought to be. When Jesus came to this earth, he came, strangely, in a body. And he performed with his members, with his machines, perfect righteousness. He says, this is how it's done. This is how humanity is supposed to be lived. But he didn't just leave us saying, see that example? And then he walks off into the sunset and goes, you try it. We can't because we're enslaved. So what Jesus did is he annulled the old operator. And he said, I've given you everything you need. So here's my equivalent to it. We're like gagged and tied to our director's chair. And we're esteeming it. And somehow we get some guy who slips in. He's covertly acting in our body. And he comes in to deliver a note to the director. And the flesh is like, what are you doing? And he goes, I just have a note. I just need to tell him about a, you know, a rust problem on one of the machines. And he goes, oh, well, hurry up. And he goes in there and he slips you a little note. And it says, Jesus will rescue you but you must press the red button. <laughs> so, the, so you're sitting there going, press the red button. Press, and the guy goes, he winks at you. He goes, trust me. It's a deliverer of the gospel. It's an evangelist. And they reach inside. They somehow get past all that barrier that's in our lives. And they reach us inside. And they say, push the red button. Call out for help. He's there. You must realize that he has done the work. You ever tried pressing the red button? Try calling out to Jesus? I need you. Uh, uh, uh. Suddenly your hero shows up. Jesus takes the flesh, lifts him up, throws him out of the door, kicks out everything that doesn't belong, purges it of all the filth. Any questions? Takes his seat on the throne of our life and rules and reigns. That's Christianity. Christianity is an overhaul of management. It is a turning upside down of the operation. No longer the body of sin. Now the body of Christ. So let's see the difference. First of all, let's read the definition. The factory of righteousness where Christ rules. The new man, born again in Christ, is set free to live in accordance with truth and love. The body is alive to the spirit and dead to the flesh. So let's look at the differences. Whose picture on the wall now? Christ. Who's in the director's chair? Jesus. 
Because of what Christ has purchased on the cross, we have a new power at work within us. That organ, that holy of holies that was meant to house the living God within us, suddenly is filled with God. Suddenly is changed, and now we can hear spiritual things. Now we can see spiritual things. Our life is actually able to see, to hear, to know, to understand things that we could not understand before. They are spiritually discerned, and now we have the organ that can discern them. And now, when there's 25 cents on the counter, which is more like $25 billion, we have the ability in our spiritual man to reach out and stick it in our spiritual pocket. We're able to coordinate this body to respond to the truth of heaven. The spirit is alive. The soul, you notice the soul is in the middle in both of those pictures? That's because you were designed to be ruled by something. And that's what the enemy knew. The enemy knew us better than we knew ourselves. And when he baited Eve, he said, you can be in control, which was a falsity. Eve could not be in control. We will be controlled. We were built to be controlled by the spirit. And what happened is we began to be controlled by the flesh. And so now we are once again set free to be as we ought to be. Free! No longer enslaved. Free! And now look what's at the third tier. The flesh. It's dead. It no longer has control over us. You know what that does? That frees up our sexuality to be used by God. That frees up our appetite to no longer be a controlling dimension of our life. God's not against you eating. He's not against something tasting good on your tongue. He's against you being controlled by that. God sets us free to live in this body and to utilize the different members for righteousness instead of sin. Self, or I, must enter into death. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He must deny himself. You are set free. God removes all the tethering that has been holding you to that director's chair. What do you do? You get off the director's chair. You deny your position. A lot of us, we want Jesus to come in and deal with the flesh, but we still want to stay behind the glass walls and we want to be in control. That's not Christianity. If you want Christianity, you want this operation to work, because if you stay in that director's chair, guess who moseys right back in? The flesh only stays away when the spirit is in control. So therefore, you must get off your director's chair. You must take down your picture. This must be about him, otherwise the whole body doesn't work. And whosoever doth bear doth not, sorry, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Who, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. You give up this operation. You've always said, if someone said, so a nice operation, thanks. Yeah, I, you know, I've worked hard to sort of build it to what it is today. Yeah, its product stinks, but you've done a good job with it. Are you ready to sell the company to Jesus? Forsake it all? Leave it. Let it go. It all belongs to him now, and the only thing that could ever be made good out of it is if you forsake it. You give up the operation. You give up your position, and guess what? No one may ever know what you're doing inside that body anymore. They may not know all the grand things you're doing. You go get no credit. Jesus gets all the credit from this day forward. Are you willing? Because that's how the body was meant to function. Paul. I die daily, and so must you. It's a funny thing, but that flesh will come knocking, and this is what he'll say. He'll get nice one day, and he'll woo you over to the side. He'll have like a note, a Valentine's card for you. You're like, oh, for me? Thanks. And you come over to the window. He's like, yeah, 
I'm so sorry. You know, I mistreated you. I didn't handle this whole thing correctly. But do you remember those good old days? Remember all the fun we used to have? Remember the pleasure that you had when, when I was in control? We had some good times, didn't we? Like, yeah, you know, we sort of did. Would you mind, how about just sort of for old time's sake, you let me back in? I don't think God would mind for old time's sake. He knows that you can't just live all spiritual all the time. Don't fall for the bait. The flesh has to be kept at bay and outside. Do not give him any life. Paul says, I die daily. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In other words, the old man died, I got off my throne, and yet, I'm still alive. But Christ lives in me. He's on the director's chair now. And the life which I now live in this body, in this operation, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. More scriptures. I don't know if you have those, but these will all be in the notes. Understanding the position of the flesh, the sarks. The old man or self-centricity, the factory operator, the overarching system of control, the operation of deceit, the management of sin. I don't know if I'm going to go through this. but uh, The flesh is used two different ways by Paul. And in Romans 6, he's talking very specifically about the operator, the old man. But every other time, outside of that, he's basically talking about the physical body, the flesh. Okay? So that's what I'm saying there. I'm going to just skip over that, though. What I have here is I have a sequence of how the flesh is used in Scripture. This is talking about the old man, okay, in Romans. And so you'll see 619. And think I, I, don't, I think it goes through 68. I'm not positive. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, which is the term in the Greek, sarks. So when you see sarks, or if I say sarks, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's the grizzled guy, you know, with the donut powder. Uh, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, remember these are your, uh, your little machines, you've yielded them as servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, these, these machines that produce in your life, to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were in the flesh, or the sarks, when this was the controlling power of your life, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Widgets, gizmos, the product of your life stunk. It was as filthy rags. It was as a pile of dung before heaven. It's called self-righteousness or unrighteousness. 7.18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me. In other words, Paul's saying, I want to get out, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He doesn't have what he needs. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Hopefully that's clear, because I'm not going to have as much time to go into all these things. But this is an enunciation of everything we've said. That as long as the flesh is the operator, the fruit of our life is sin. 
But when the Spirit operates our life and utilizes these machines, suddenly the fruit of our life is righteousness. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or sarks-minded is death, but to be spiritually-minded is life and peace. Basically, you could say to be flesh-minded is death. But to be spirit-minded is life and peace because the sarks or the carnal or the flesh mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh. Right? Aren't you Christians? Why in the world would you still have the grizzled guy controlling your operation? So Paul is saying, but you are not in this mode anymore, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Is that true of you? Has God moved in? Because if God has moved in, these are truths. If they're not, they're just nice poetry and Romans, like, oh, praise God. Yeah, but it's not true for you. Christianity is meant to be real. If it's not real, it's a hoax, it's a joke. Let's demonstrate to the people of this world that Jesus means business. And when he died on that cross, it was actually efficacious for us. It does work. It changes us. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. He's gonna, the flesh is going to tell you that when he knocks on the window, by the way. Hey, man, you owe me a favor. I was there for you. Remember all those parties? You know, we had some good times. Come on, man, I need a break here. I need a loan from you. You are not a debtor to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, that's the deeds of the body that are coming out of the factory instruments and all those machines. Mortify, put it to death, stop the presses. Don't produce any more of that junk. Ye shall live. Understanding the significance of the body. The word in the Greek for body is soma. So this is a very key word for Paul. So the factory for the operation of humanity is what I defined the body as in the beginning. So here's three ways. Instead of going through all the different scriptures that factory was, or soma was used, what I'm going to do is I'm going to organize it for you. There's three different ways that factory is used or soma is used. The factory is operated by the flesh, which is what I introduced you to in the beginning. The factory is operated by the new man, which is a Christian that is overtaken by Jesus, and now Jesus sits in the director's chair, and you are put in charge of these instruments under the lead and the guide and the power of the Spirit of God. You tell your members what to do. No, you're going to produce righteousness now. And they look back, and you go, well, we've never done that before. And then you look back at the Spirit and say, tell them. You tell them. Make it happen. God will make this body work. So that's the second one that Paul talks about. And then the perfect factory, or the Soma, known as Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the perfect man. He was the perfect body. It's known as the body of Christ. Makes sense? The body of Christ, the perfect man. The factory, Soma, is operated by the flesh. Okay, that's the first one. So knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That's, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That's the first body we're talking about. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. 
But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I'm going to keep going here. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. And that's talking about the body that is controlled by the flesh. So here's the second one. The factory is operated by the new man, the Spirit born. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal soma. Isn't that, Paul just makes it sound so easy. Just don't do it. Don't, don't let sin reign in your body anymore. You're like, uh, thanks, Paul. <laughs> Appreciate the advice. I have no idea how to do that. Paul has actually told you how to do it, but we keep missing that fact because we actually don't understand how this is all working. You know what the word let not means? With kingly authority, you command. That's what it means. So when it says let not, it's as a king. In this situation, you command with all the authority of heaven backing you up. The Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, you say, in his name, you will obey. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal soma. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Now let's go to the bottom. Uh, and it says, well, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal soma, your mortal body, by his spirit that dwells in you. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now let's talk about the perfect factory, Christ Jesus. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Well, this is an interesting statement. Paul's been talking about an individual body, and suddenly he starts talking about the body of Christ, and we, instead of just being individual bodies, become members of a bigger body. We are individual machines now in an overall operation. Isn't that incredible? And when we're all governed by the Spirit... Imagine each one of us in here being controlled by Jesus Christ. We come together, we all become individual press, printing presses to publish the gospel in this world, and God uses us. One of us becomes the right shoulder. One of us becomes that lower lip. One of us becomes the, right big to, the left big toe, in this case, since I lifted my left foot. That's our part. We play a role in the overarching work and we become a part of something bigger than even our body. We become part of the perfect man to express to this world what he looks like, what fruit he produces. And if the spirit be in you, it produces a very specific fruit that God defines in scripture. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Your life will produce this out of its members. What did the cross accomplish for our individual bodies? So the body as a whole, because now we're going to break up the body into its pieces. So the overall body is clothed in Christ in order to be indwelled by Christ. You see, you're this like renegade factory operation which is destroying planet Earth. You are, I mean, absolutely a stench in heaven. But you come to Christ, you push the red button. 
What happens? Well, as it says in Scripture, you are clothed in Jesus Christ, in the perfect man. You are clothed in his righteousness, his work, the deeds of his body. You are clothed in this. Why would he do that? So that you could actually come into the throne room of grace. So that you could come near the Father. Because you can't come near with your stink. So you take on Jesus and he brings you in. What's his end game? Just to bring you in and to cover up your mess? No, to get a new operator, to get new management inside of you. But to get that new management inside of you, he must first clothe you in his righteousness. And then he brings you in and then he gets in you. And he overhauls this life, this body of yours. He kicks out the flesh. He cleanses it of all the filth. He purifies the environment. And he says, let's get these members working properly to showcase heaven on earth to all that will behold. So that's the body. So the body is clothed in Christ. It is brought into subjection under the new management of righteousness. And I have scriptures next to these, which you can look up during the week if you want. Is washed with pure water is made the dwelling place of God, the temple. So now the spirit, remember in your little illustration, you'll see the spirit is alive, is in control. Well, the spirit overtakes the body as the new ruling authority in order to reveal the person of Jesus Christ in the body. So the spirit of God empowers and gives life. It enables us to put to death the old operation of the flesh. Oh, made it sound like there was more. That's it. It's good news. The soul, the second one, which is you, remember, this is the mind, will, and emotions, is now a servant to righteousness instead of sin. Our souls, which are us, our mind, will, and emotions, are now able, due to the new ruling power within our lives, to serve God instead of self and sin. And as we reckon ourselves dead unto sin and alive unto God through Christ Jesus, we are empowered by this newfound authority of Christ to let not sin reign any longer in our bodies. And thusly, we are able to present our bodies along with each individual operative member of our bodies unto God to be used from this day forth as instruments of righteousness and no longer as instruments of sin. As printing presses for truth instead of printing presses for evil and lies and deceit. We are now able to publish with our life. We are able to create widgets and gizmos out of our life that bring glory to Jesus Christ. The flesh is a third dimension no longer has ruling jurisdiction over the body, but is crucified along with the affections and lusts. The old man and sinful deeds. I broke these up into two different categories because you have the old man who's that grizzled guy, remember with the donut powder? See, I keep telling you that because I, I don't know if you remember. Uh, and then sinful deeds. So the old man, let's deal with him first. The old operator of the self-centered sinful regime is ousted. Yeah, Thanks for that cheer. That's good news! Or as Paul states it, is crucified and is put off as an old garment. Get rid of this thing! You don't need to keep lugging it around. Sinful deeds. This is what was being produced out of your machinery. The works of the flesh operation cease. They are no more due to the change of management within the body. Paul says that they are cut off through the circumcision of Christ and mortified, put to death. Glorify God in your body. See, you've heard that statement. Glorify God in your body. How many of us know how to do that? Paul has laid out the pattern. Your job is fairly simple in this. It's to agree with God. And when you get the little note that says, he's ready to help, 
What he did on that cross was sufficient for you to get rid of this burly operator. Push the red button. You know, that, that's not that big of a job. And you know how hard that is? Because we have a strange attachment to our miserable situation. We aren't quite sure we want to be set free. Because if getting set free means we're no longer in control and we lose our picture on the front in the entryway, why we even hesitate befuddles me to no end. Push the button. Call for Jesus. Let him come in and work his saving grace within you. He wants to set you free. Let him do what he does best. He will save you to the uttermost. He will take this body and he will purify it to bring a sweet-smelling savor before the throne room of heaven. Glorify God in your body. Now, the body, the soma, is not for fornication. It is not to be misused as a sexual instrument, grossly perverted by the control of the flesh. It is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the soma. Isn't that an incredible statement? Because that's the same word we've been talking about this whole time, soma. It's not for fornication. Your body is not for this ridiculous junk that you've been producing. It's not for that, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies, your somas, are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? How dare we? Call ourselves the body of Christ and then take this and use it for the agenda of the flesh. How dare we? Could we even think of such a thing? Yet most of us, that's what we do day in and day out. Let's be reproved by this and say, Jesus Christ, come in and rescue me. God forbid is Paul's answer. What? Know ye not that, that, that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? Soma? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh, or sarks, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Don't you know that it's the operation, it's the factory of God Almighty? Don't you realize that this isn't just supposed to be producing anything? It's supposed to be producing God's material on planet Earth. He's the one that came up with this idea. Why do you think he died 2,000 years ago? He wants your body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Do you know that director's chair doesn't belong to you? That frame in the entryway isn't yours? belongs to Jesus. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now look at God's has a apostrophe S, which means possessive. Your body is God's body. Your spirit is God's spirit. He does with them what he wants to do. This isn't your decision. You try and keep the controls not only will the big burly guy with donut powder on his grizzled beard remain, but you know what else? 
the wages that are paid for such an operation are death, not just this side of heaven, because you will be miserable this side of heaven too, but for eternity. This is serious business. What you do about that grizzled operator is your answer to what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. If Jesus Christ died to deal with that grizzled operator, what in the world are you doing letting him remain? This is serious stuff to the Christian. Off with the sin soma and on with Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You know what that means? In Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in soma form, in body form. And ye are complete in him, which is the head, that's body language, by the way, the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised, the flesh is cut off, with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Christ is coming in, and he is literally hacking off the the flesh. Get out of here! This is the secret of Christianity, right here. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. That's a great word for what we're talking about here. Who hath raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You start reading through the Bible and you'll see this is all over the place. You're right. It's what Paul said. It's his gospel. It's always been his gospel. It's always been the church of Jesus Christ's gospel. If you ask me why hasn't it been the gospel of our modern Christian church, that's a hard thing to try and explain. However, I do know that there's a grizzled guy with a, with a donut powder on his beard that is working overtime in each of our lives trying to quiet this. There's a button to push. Push it. Call out for Jesus Christ. There's only one way out of that chair. You're tethered to it and you're gagged. When Jesus Christ gives you an opportunity and he makes it clear to your soul, take it because it might be the only opportunity. Jesus Christ is awakening and he's stirring. Take advantage of it. That she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Put it off. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ, listen to the opposite language here, have put on Christ. New clothing, new new management, new operation. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Put on the Lord Jesus, the body of Christ. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have all been been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. If you're going to call yourself the body of Christ... You remember the illustration I gave you of what the body of Christ looks like and how it functions? Is that how you function? Because that is being a part of the body of Christ. To be a part of the body of Christ, you must allow Christ 
to have the director's chair. You must allow the flesh to be circumcised and cut off and the deeds of these members to be mortified. You are no longer producing that junk. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. So if you are going to be a part of this, what I'm saying is no small thing. It is Christianity. It's not bonus Christianity. It is Christianity. So let us come to Jesus. Let him come in and rescue us from this hostage situation that we find ourselves in because of our own rebellion and sin. And let us let him set us free. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head. Remember, this is body talk. When all Paul is talking about this over and over, Jesus is the head of the church, the body. Even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. These scriptures, when you start studying them, will suddenly have a whole new dimension to them. Communion. Communion is an amazing thing because it's the body of Christ. So when you suddenly look at communion, you realize it's the covenant of everything we're talking about. Remember I said that we have a covenant with death? But Jesus Christ has come in by the death on the cross and he has annulled our covenant with death. So now the rightful position, the legal position the flesh has had is removed. And now we, in the authority of Jesus Christ, are able to cut off that flesh and allow Jesus Christ in. And our bodies are no longer our own. And we become his body. Welcome to communion. Communion is the recognition before the heavenlies of that amazing fact. This body, my blood, the life within this, these, these veins, isn't mine. It belongs to Jesus. He broke his body and he was his spent his blood for me. My body can be broken and my blood spent for him. It's an exchange. That's what covenant is. My body for his. I become his body. He gains full access to mine. That's communion. That's what it's always been. Let's understand what is taking place in our body so that we can give glory to Jesus Christ in and through it. The cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is not the communion of the body of Christ. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. What an incredible statement. Father, this is a work that only you can accomplish, and you have accomplished it. Lord, if the keys are being dangled before us and we are in chains and that key will unlock our chains, how miserable we are if we stare at those keys, know that they're there and choose not to take the keys. But Lord Jesus, I pray that every single one in here that has not yet reached out and claimed those keys to see an unlocking of this body for Jesus Christ, unlocking of this life and liberty, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would reach out and take. 
that we would reckon those keys as our keys, that we would reckon the purchase of the cross as a purchase that was for us. Lord, that we would be the body of Christ, that we would shine forth the way a man and a woman ought to be on planet Earth, that we would bring glory to you, and that we would hang your picture proudly in our entryway and say this is all about him and all for him, for his glory, honor, and praise. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.